This Wellness Couch podcast brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts just like you. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hello, everyone. How are you all going today? Um, I'm all excited because I've been sitting here journaling my um, projects and goals for the year, and I've just realized how many exciting things are coming up. So do you guys want to hear them? Come on, you do, right? Okay. So first of all, um, we are working on updating the gut health program, which we have been working on for a little while. Yes, because we keep getting interrupted with other exciting projects, but um, our gut health program has been around for about four years now. So um, time for some updates, need to get some more videos done and we are adding a full gap section into the program. So that will have Um, more recipes, new recipes, lots of ideas for people just getting started with gaps that don't really necessarily need to start right on intro. Generally, we recommend that people start with full gaps food and then decide whether they need to move back into intro. Um, So um, we decided to put a full gaps section in there and we are going to work on a cookbook to go with that. We have started, but we're at the moment that's on the back burner at the moment. We're going to get the updates done first. And we've got a couple of other things that are really exciting that we're working on also. Um, Elise and I are working on a pro- another program that's more of a whole food program for people that's more general, um, not not for people who have to do really deep healing with gaps, maybe for people that just need to take a few first steps, um, reduce the stress in their lives around food and Um, you know, the toxins in your home and mindset and things like that. So we're working on that one with a trial group at the moment, which is very exciting. Um, We have some events planned coming up later in the year, but I can't actually talk about them yet. So I will move on, but exciting stuff planned. We've got um, a hope for health retreat coming up in 10 days, which I'm really excited about. So my daughter, India and I are off to Darwin and we'll be cooking at the hope for health retreat for the first week. It goes for two weeks, um, but we can only manage one week. So we'll, I've been, I'm managing the kitchen, um, and organizing all the menus and the recipes and, Mostly I've used recipes from the gut health program. I've got a few from here, there and everywhere as well, but mostly from the gut health program and I've upscaled them to, um, for bulk cooking. So if any of you are interested in recipes for bulk cooking, um, like maybe you've got, um, you want to do a big freezer cook up with friends or you want to do, um, some healthy recipes for an event or something like that, let us know because, um, we actually have a lot of bulk cooking recipes now. So once the retreat's over, it would be nice to do something with them. So let me know if you've got any ideas. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about Hope for Health. If you haven't listened to the podcast that I did with Karma from Hope for Health, you really should listen because these guys are making a gigantic difference. Um, in the East Arnhem Land communities, helping people to return to traditional foods and to heal with food. Um, 
I'm just so, so happy to be um, able to help out as well. And, yeah, my daughter and I are going to be in the kitchen for, from the – so we get there on the 31st and we leave on the 8th, so a bit over a week. Um, we'll be cooking and just really enjoying – spending time with these people and learning from them as well I hope um it'll be a beautiful time up there and for those of you who if any of you live in Darwin they're often looking for um some help with like prep for the retreat things like that if you want to volunteer at all you can let them know on their website um I'll put the link in the show notes but if you just search hope for health you'll find it and they also are going to be having a retreat called a together a tr- retreat Ugh, I can't get my words together <laughs> the together retreat which is in I think it's July um and that one is for indigenous and non-indigenous people to come together in one retreat and learn together from each other and that is going to be so beautiful I really hope I can go but I'm not sure yet but if any of you want to um look into that just go to their website and you'll find that there um, okay, so that's the most exciting things coming up, although there is actually there is something else that's really exciting. We haven't got very far with the organizing yet, but we're working on um, organizing a luxury gut health retreat in the Italian Alps. <laughs> so I was contacted by a lovely lady about um, – coming and doing a gut health retreat in her ski lodge in Italy. And of course I said, oh yes, I'll be in that. (laughs) Especially when there's things like, you know, wild mushroom foraging and truffle hunting. I think that would be a pretty good addition to a gut health retreat, don't you? So we'll see what happens. Um, But we'll keep you up with news on all of these things in the future. There is another exciting um, bit of news that I'm still waiting to release. It's just been a while because we're waiting on other people. So soon we'll be able to share something else. And for those of you who've been um, following on Facebook, you'll know that we've been having a birthday competition because this is our Quirky Cooking's 10th year and um, we're giving away gigantic bundles of um, solid techniques, pans and cookbooks and um, all sorts of goodies from our Quirky Cooking online store. So if you are at all interested in winning some things like that, some beautiful Australian um, iron pans and some, um, yeah, there's food, there's books, there's all sorts of things. So if you're interested in that, all you have to do is take a quirky photo of something you've bought from our store or a recipe you've cooked from our book and um, post it in the comments on the birthday post on Facebook or you can post it on Instagram and tag quirky10birthday and that will go into the draw into the um, competition. So we will judge that um, the first week of April, I think the 5th is when the competition ends and let you all know and, um, yeah, it's very exciting because I've been, um, you know, seeing some really cool photos pop up on Instagram and Facebook of like 
people having fun cooking recipes from the book with their kids or their kids' faces covered in butter chicken and, you know, things like that. And there's some really cute photos out there. So we thought this would be a great idea. So enter your photos and you may win something really awesome. But for those of you who don't live in Australia, because obviously we can't send big heavy pans all over the world, um, we're going to have another competition very soon for you guys. So don't feel left out. And it will include uh, the new project, which is coming up very soon. So stay tuned. There's lots of exciting news for you. Okay, so I'm going to go on to the podcast, but I just want to explain a little bit about Rhiannon. So um, Rhiannon Crisp is an occupational therapist and she's a passionate autism advocate She thinks outside the diagnostic box and she sees every child as an individual with unlimited potential. Rhiannon's offering, um, dedicated to offering parents a smorgasbord of ideas and interventions as she understands that there is not a one-size-fits-all approach to the complexities of autism. And this is where integrative doctors come in. (laughs) It's something that that they're very good at too, um, looking for the right treatments for each individual. So Rhiannon is the host of Home Base Hope, which is a fortnightly podcast dedicated to empowering parents of kids on the spectrum, giving them the tools that they need to make um, to make life easier, to help their children to thrive and to do the best they can for their children. She's also hosting Australia's largest free and online autism event in April, and it's called the Autism Summit. So if you have any um, interest in helping kids with autism or you have um, children on the spectrum and you want to know more about this, you can look at the link in the um, show notes and you'll find that there. Um, we had a really good chat and Rhiannon's very balanced. She's really a lovely, caring person who just wants to help families with kids on the spectrum. And she feels like in our society, we we kind of need to unlearn a lot of what we used to think about autism. You know how it is where science will work out new things, but um, popular media and social media and um, popular ideas take a while to catch up to science sometimes um, because they sort of, things get ingrained. It becomes a habit to think a certain way and we think, no, that can't be wrong. And then we find out later it actually was. So there's some things that um, she wants to explain about autism and about how the behaviours are defined and why do we need to be looking beyond the behaviours and things that we need to look at like nutrition and things that parents can do in the home to support the health and development of their child. Um, talk, you know, things like fussy eaters, how to work with them. Um, so she's got some really great ideas and I hope you'll really get a lot out of this podcast. Um, thank you all for listening. And um, I hope to have Fuad back on the show again soon. He's having a break from social media and just having um, some time out. So he'll be back eventually. Um, But thank you so much for being here and um, we'll move on to the podcast. Welcome to Rhiannon. How are you? Hey, Joe. How are you going? Good. So nice to have you on the podcast. You've got your own podcast. Yes, I do. Home Base Hope, all about autism. Yes. Um, yeah, I've been doing that for just a little bit over a year now. So, awesome. yeah. I haven't managed to listen yet. You know what it's like. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I do want to, but I'm <laughs> going to pick your brains today anyway. 
And um, for those of you who not listened to Homebase, is it Homebase for Hope? No, no it, it's just Homebase Hope. So it's Homebase is one word and yeah. hope is okay. Um, we we are interested to hear about the work that you do with um, autistic children and parents of kids on the spectrum. So you're an occupational therapist. Mm-hmm. And can you just tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been an OT now for just over 10 years and for the majority of my career I've been working with kids and really in particular kids on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So it really started back when I was living in Victoria and I started work at a special development school and I had absolutely no idea about autism. Mm -hmm. Um, I really didn't know what it was. I was really thrown into the deep end. But I became really fascinated and interested in how these kids' brains work and what's going on for them. Mm. Um, And then I actually moved to New South Wales and uh, did some more work with kids and my caseload was predominantly kids on the spectrum. But it wasn't until I moved to um, the Northern Territory and I was living in Catherine. And as you know, it is very isolated. It's Mm. (laughs) really, really remote. Yeah. Yeah. And I I started working with a little three-year-old boy and he came from a non-English speaking background. He was just diagnosed um, as being on the spectrum and his parents were really lost as to what to do. Um, they felt really isolated. They had no other services helping them. I was the only health professional in the area who was helping them um, with this. And to be honest, even though I had worked with so many different kids before and so many different kids with a range of abilities and challenges, um, this was the first time I I really felt isolated myself um, because I didn't have that team approach and there was no one else around. And, you know, this little boy, he was three, as I said. He was nonverbal, so he wasn't talking. He had a very restricted diet, so mum was having to almost force feed him Mm. um, food because he had absolutely no interest in it. Um, He he had repetitive behaviours all day long. He would be spinning constantly in circles And if he wasn't spinning, he would be rocking on the chair back and forth really rhythmically, um, just getting that deep proprioceptive input into his back. And it was really calming for him. Mm. Um, But he couldn't play. Like he had no idea of the concept of play. He would just pick up a toy car and bang it on the ground or throw it away. Um, And he didn't recognise mum as mum. He didn't know that was his mum. He wouldn't respond to his name. So all these little things, and these are very common for kids on the spectrum. Um, Parents will be relating to a lot of these things. Um, But I just knew in my heart that I needed to learn more about autism. I just became so curious and hungry to learn more and understand what is actually going on. I wanted to delve into the science behind autism. Um, And I just really wanted to help this family. So I actually flew down to the Gold Coast and I did the GAPS practitioner training course yep. um, because I'm really interested in health and well-being, and it's something that I'm personally interested in and I just knew that nutrition was, you know, is foundational for anyone's health, particularly mm-hmm. kids who have challenges. Yep. Um, 
And when I was just up late nights researching and I just started to realise there are so many different disciplines working with kids um, and they're all doing things differently. We have so many different people and professionals with different ideas and perspectives and angles at how they're um, looking at autism and how they're working with these kids. Um, And just working with this family really served as rocket fuel for my autism Mm -hmm. mission. And that's when I, I just wanted to get more information out there in terms of what I have been learning about. So I started the podcast, Home Base Hope Podcast, Mm. which is a fortnightly podcast where I'm interviewing really amazing um, uh, professionals who are delving into the science. Um, I'm talking to autistic people who Mm. can talk about their lived experience. I'm talking to parents who have undergone just extraordinary experiences and have so much insight to share. Um, And, yeah, and that, I suppose, just really was fuel for me to um, help more families, um, particularly when I know there are so many families who are lost and isolated and don't know what's going on. Yeah. So there's so many different, I guess it's kind of like when, when I found out my son Isaac had OCD, I had always thought OCD was a certain thing. I thought it was being scared of germs, washing your hands all the time. That's what I thought it was. And then there was so much more to it and it's different. It sort of varies for different children. So I'm sure that autism is the same way that you'd see different things um, in different kids. Can you explain what it actually is and you know, what's the range of things that we're seeing with autistic children? Yeah. So it's interesting because the more I actually learned about autism, the more I realised I actually had to unlearn what yeah. I learned. Um, and I had to be really open-minded and let go of some of my really deeply ingrained belief systems around autism. Mm. And I suppose what's important to understand when we're looking at autism is that, you know, how we understood it 50, 60, 70 years ago is really different to how we understand it today. So our Mm. understanding has actually changed significantly and there's really been no consistency. Um, It's, you know, it's hard because it is a subjective diagnosis. Um, It's not like diagnosing a stroke where there are these biological markers. You don't get that with autism. So, I mean, 50... In the 50s, we understood autism to be this psychological disorder where um, it was blamed on parents who were cold to their kids and mums, they were given the name refrigerator mother. So, um, yeah, and of course we know this isn't the case. Like we know that's, that's not what autism is. But back in the day, that's how we understood it. With the information that we had, that's what we thought caused these behaviours in the kids um, on the spectrum. Um, and then, you know, look, jump to the eighties, we started to learn more about it and, um, it was added to the diagnostic manual of, um, mental disorders. Um, and we started to understand it was based on speech delay and behaviors. Um, in the nineties, Asperger's was added to the criteria, Mm -hmm. but interestingly, um, you know, when the next diagnostic manual came out, it was no longer there. So Asperger's like doesn't exist anymore oh, um, and it's all, 
Yeah, it's that we don't use that term anymore because it's not in the diagnostic manual. So it's all everyone falls under autism spectrum disorder, right. Right. and um, it's just they, like a, as you say, a spectrum. It's um, yeah, mm. yeah. So Asperger's was sort of known as the quote unquote high functioning autism. Yes, um, but yeah. So I, I suppose my point is that our understanding has just changed so much and we're continuing to change this criteria of what we understand autism to be. So we can't just place kids in this diagnostic box and say they have autism, so based on this, these are the interventions we need to give them or we need to provide Hmm. because we we really don't know what it is. And if we keep really close-minded and just providing interventions based on this diagnosis or the criteria as it is now, then we could be really missing a lot of valuable interventions that um, aren't quote unquote autism specific, like nutrition and like, you know, those sorts of things that um, are really helpful for any child, but particularly for kids who are having challenges. So one part of unlearning um, what we used to think about autism is the whole genetic subject can you just explain that to us sure so we used to understand autism to be this purely hardwired um, genetic condition so it's something that you're born with and you have to live with for the rest of your life it's like this life sentence it's a really hopeless diagnosis and it is what it is basically um but what we're starting to understand more and more is that autism is actually an epigenetic condition which means that epigenetics means that there's environmental factors that are imposed on top of our genes Mm. which actually have that ability to turn our genes on and off and your audience probably know a little bit about epigenetics um But basically this means that a child can be born with the genes that makes them more vulnerable to autism. Lifestyle factors can actually determine whether these genes become activated or not. When we're looking at epigenetics, we're looking at things that, you know, are like the diet, uh, chemicals in and around the home and what chemicals um, kids are um, exposed to and even pregnant women, um, stress, pollution, um, infection, EMF exposure, Mm -hmm. a sedentary lifestyle even. You know, these are things that can have a really profound influence on gene expression. So, of course, we understand that genes are associated with autism and what we know is that there's not one autism gene. Currently, we understand that there are hundreds of genes that are associated with autism. Um, But the problem with thinking that it's purely a genetic condition is that... um, we start to believe that there's nothing that we can do, you know, because if it is hardwired, then it is what it is, you know, and um, all we can do is just accommodate the symptoms. And often, you know, parents will turn their back to the possibilities of lifestyle as a serious intervention. Mm. And there's actually, there's a lot more that we can do than just accommodate the symptoms. Mm. Um, So yes, you know, genes are associated with autism, but we know environmental factors do play a major role. Um, And yeah, it's, it's coming back to this, you know, there's not this one size fits all approach to autism. There's not a cookie cutter approach. Um, We've got to be looking at the habits and the routines and the lifestyle Mm. that a child lives um, and how we can just make small changes to that to help, um, to help with with them 
I've noticed parents looking at this from two different directions. You'll get some parents say, um, oh, they sort of get defensive and say, now you're saying that it's my fault my child's like this because I haven't done enough to have a great environment for them. And then others will say, oh, my goodness, now I have so much hope because I know I can start working on things that will change them and help them to grow and develop um, and become, you know, have less symptoms because I can work on their environment. So, um, yeah, can you just give a little bit of encouragement to parents mm. out there with kids yes. on the spectrum? Yeah. Mm. And I see that too, Joe, all the time. Um, but the thing is, you know, parents, anyone, we don't know what we don't know. And a lot of and the there's t- a lot of their environment that we can't control because it's exactly it's our society, it's our world. Exactly. Our world is very different to how it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. So when we go back, um, you know, when we start to understand that too, we, we can start to realise that, you know, autism is this epigenetic condition because our world has changed so much over this time span. Um, but it is really an empowering model to look at because it means that parents can make a difference. It means you can most certainly start to make changes. These are factors that are somewhat within your control. Mm. Um, so it is really empowering for parents to start looking at the little changes that they can make that can make a really significant difference to their child's life. Yeah, that's good. It reminds me of what um, Elise, who we work with quite closely, um, she always says, uh, genetics loads the gun lifestyle pulls the trigger (laughs) Mm, absolutely and it's that tipping point you know some kids Mm. um you know maybe it is just genes and they it it was going to be that way um Mm. for some kids it might be that there is this tipping point and there is something that maybe tips them Mm. over the edge I don't know. And you know what? Like I said, we are still learning so much more about autism and, and about genetics. Our, yeah, and, our, and and epigenetics. Like that's yeah. the exciting thing is, is isn't it? our environment and we're continuing to learn more. But I think at the end of the day, I think what's important to take home is that you can make a difference from home. You can be doing little things at home that can help your child. So, um Surround yourself with other parents who are like-minded. Surround, find your tribe. Find, um, you know, don't get caught up in the negativity. Work out what works for you and your family. It's different for everyone. Um, so yeah, just find the right fit for you and you don't get overwhelmed with all the changes that you suddenly realize that you could be making. You've got to start with one thing and just work on it slowly. And I'm sure that's how you help families. Mm. Yeah. Little changes, little changes every day working on one thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and parents, you know, for them to treat them, treat yourself kindly, you know, there is so much to learn. Um, it's overwhelming. Oh, to say the least. And that's why I I started my podcast is because I really just wanted to show parents that there is um, so much information out there and you've got to pick and choose. Um, And I even take, I interview people who are from, you know, the neurodiversity movement who are really, they're autistic and they're proud. They're proud to be autistic. It's great. Um, And they have so many insights and I find what they have to say so much value absolutely Mm. it's just incredible um so I really I see 
I love what the biomedical people are doing. I love, you know, nutrition and how they're helping the body and the cells. I think the therapists are doing an amazing job. So looking at the habits and the learned behaviors and also the people who are in this neurodiversity movement, we've got all these different camps in in the autism community mm. and it's actually really divided and what I'm trying to do and what I'm really passionate about is bringing the community together and saying, hey, we all are looking at the same complex thing from a different angle. Yeah. Let's work together on this because we all have something to offer and to something of value. Mm. I was listening to a podcast the other day by Dr. Caroline Leaf and she was talking about the, the old um, theory of left brain, right brain and how that's been proven that we don't just predominantly think with one side of the brain. And she was saying how, for instance, you look at a maths problem and one side of the brain says, reads it like two plus two equals four. And the other side of the brain looks at it as four equals two groups of two. And neither is wrong and both work together to give you an understanding of the problem. And that's what we should be doing in the medical community. Everyone's looking at it from a different angle. We all look at it together then and we can see it properly so I just thought yeah that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> that's a good analogy yeah mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely oh that's really good um so so how do they define autism now like if they're diagnosing a child what what mm. are the things that define an autistic child so um Well, if we look at the criteria, um, and again, like, you know, this is sort of just that criteria so we can sort of say, you know, at the moment this is how we're understanding it. Yeah. Um, It's based on two areas of deficits. um, And, you know, I I don't particularly like to use that word deficits, Mm -hmm. but um, it's social communication deficits. So, like I said, if they're nonverbal or they don't understand gestures or facial expressions, Mm-hmm. Um, they might not show an interest in making friends. Um, and the second one is restricted or repetitive behaviours. Mm-hmm. So like I said with the little boy that I was working with, he would just spin endlessly in circles or he'd rock. Um, you know, kids might walk on their toes and just be constantly toe walking. Mm-hmm. Um, they might hand flap. So these different repetitive movements that we might see. And they also tend to have um, narrow, intense, really intense interests. Um, But how I like to see it is that, um, you know, autism is behaviourally defined, but, um, you know, it it is subjective. So there is no biological testing. There's no, you can't go in and get a DNA test. You can't go in Mm -hmm. and get a blood test or a brain scan or anything like that. So I'll have families um, who will come to me who will have their child assessed and, you know, parents are becoming more curious. They'll go to two different paediatricians to get a second opinion mm-hmm. um, and one paediatrician might diagnose them with autism and the next might diagnose them with ADHD or yeah. no diagnosis. Mm. Um, so it is really, it can be difficult and challenging. Um So, yeah, it is currently understood to be this neurodevelopmental condition. So neuro meaning brain and um, developmental meaning that it starts at some time in early childhood. Um, But we do, like all your listeners would know, we need to um, look just beyond the brain because the brain is connected to the rest of the body. And 
autism is very much a whole body condition. It's not just a condition of the brain um, because we will see that kids on the spectrum have more than just behavioural challenges. We'll often see them with like gastrointestinal problems. We'll see them with poor immune system. They take a lot longer to recover from any setback. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll have challenges with sleeping and sensory processing. And what we tend to do is treat these as, or a lot of the times we'll treat them as, yeah, and and coincidental symptoms. Like it's a coincidence that they have this and we're not looking at the whole picture. We need to look at the whole child and not just isolate these things. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it's really looking at the whole child and starting to understand that the brain and the body are connected, understanding that it's, when the brain and the body is going under too much stress, you know, it's going to result in these neurological, biological, um, social, emotional challenges that we see. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, for those parents out there that are, maybe they've had those conflicting diagnoses and they're trying to figure out what to do, um, it's encouraging to talk to someone like you who can say, hey, all children will benefit from looking after all these areas, like you say, the whole child approach. So your nutrition, um, you know, the exercise, all the things that I'm sure that you work on with your, with your children that you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, what's some things that you put into place to support um, these children? With mm. Mm. Well, like you said, um, looking on the behaviour, so like in terms of nutrition, I, I could have kids coming to see me um, to work on their behaviours, for example. So they're interrupting in class, they can't sit still, um, they're fidgety, they're always angry, you know, whatever the behaviour is that we're seeing. Um, and I can work on these behaviours until the cows come home. Yeah. But unless we look at the nutrition and notice that they're having um, really processed food in their diet, you know, it could be cordial or it could be um, packets of chips and additives and preservatives that are setting Sugary them off. cereal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like everyday things that people, we just consider the norm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean no amount of therapy is going to help a child who is feeding that problem. Yeah. Um, And so I really think it's about empowering parents to understand that um, there isn't this one-size-fits-all approach Mm -hmm. to the complexities of autism. There's not one single thing that's going to help your child. It's a combination of everything. It's really looking at it's looking at nutrition. So I look at it from a really basic point of view. Um, I find that most of the parents I work with, you know, we're nowhere near gaps. It's just looking at simple yeah. replacements. What can we add to the diet and what can we remove? Yep. Um, and, you know, that is going to set the foundation. And a lot of the times parents will start to notice differences just with small changes in nutrition and diet. Um, I mean, nature play, looking yeah. at getting outside more we are so glued to our technology and our screens and obviously that's going to cause behavioral issues a lot of kids have these techno tantrums when you want to turn it off or you know we've got to get to school um do you find 
that a lot of parents that are overwhelmed with their children's behaviours in, you know, with special needs children will tend to rely on the technology a lot. I mean, I totally understand that that's sort of mm. because they're not coping. Um, do you yeah. Find- well, it can become... Sorry. No, you're right. It can become a really easy babysitter. And yeah. for parents who are already stressed, it, yeah. is, it is really easy. And I totally understand that. Yeah. And it's working with the parents to say, okay, let's set up some boundaries and some rules around this. How can we, um, you know, make something more exciting outside? How can we get them outside? Yeah. What do they love? What are their interests? What That's motivates great. them? Because I had one mother tell me that the doctor actually said to her when her child was diagnosed, um, she said, well, what can I do? And he said, buy a big flat screen TV. And that's what he told her. It's like, no. I know. I know. There's so much else that you can do. I guess that's that feeling. (laughs) I mean, if that's their one bit of advice. I know. There's just so much good advice that you could give there, but they need someone like you. (laughs) Ah, And you know what? It's interesting, actually, you said that because Mm -hmm. in America, doctors are literally writing out prescriptions saying play outdoors. Oh, that's awesome. This was a long, this was like a few years ago like maybe 10 years ago but still yeah uh exactly exactly so we're really starting to um rethink what intervention approaches are going to work and do you know what joe it's different for every child so um it really needs to be individual just like nutrition anything it really needs to be individual to that person so um you know looking at sleep sleep is a massive one um, this yeah. is when the body obviously does all its healing and repairing. So we've got to look at the quality and the quantity of the sleep that the child's getting. And usually kids on the spectrum, they're really um, poor sleepers. Uh, so this is an area that we need to look at. And it's really looking at daily habits. What are the rituals and the routines? So I, as an OT, um, I prefer to be mobile. So I will actually go into clients homes Mm -hmm. and actually assess what's going on there you know it it is so yeah it's invaluable the richness of information that I get from a home visit is just you you can't you can't get it from sitting in a clinic where a child has never been before and you're just filling out a questionnaire um I get to see what's in the cupboard you know what what Mm -hmm. is actually in the pantry I get to see um, you know, parents who are cleaning their floors with bleach because they're really house proud and, and don't know, you know, that this could be triggering certain things um, and behaviours. I get to see how chaotic the morning routine might be and how much stress and overload the family is in the morning and how to change this. Um, and little things like looking at the bedroom and looking at the bedroom environment, looking at where the Wi-Fi is, um, how can we make the bedroom more suitable and um more just better for sleep you know is there a light shining in and they're really sensitive to light and they can't sleep because it's just shining in in their eyes of the nighttime but you know if they can't articulate things they can't tell you that the scene in on their pajamas is annoying them or they can't tell you that um they just need that deep pressure. You know, a lot of kids might need like weighted blankets yeah. or big bear hugs or they might need um, music to put them to sleep. So a lot, looking at sensory aspects as well is really important. But um, there is just so much parents can be doing at home. And 
I think a lot of the time parents feel really passive in the intervention process. So they'll take them to therapy and they're always, you know, they've got so many after hours appointments running them to here and there. Um, But what's really important and that's more important than any therapy is to get the habits and the rituals at home right first. Yeah. That's home is where, where the magic happens. We were talking a couple of weeks ago to um, Sharon from the Functional Family. I don't know if you've seen her online, but she has a um, program for parents of kids with ADHD, anxiety, that kind of thing. And that was her main point in the podcast was work on your schedules and routines because that helps them so much to be able to know what's happening next and um, to have that, um, to be able to know that everything's, I don't know, in order maybe. Mm. So is that pretty much similar with autistic children? Yes. So what's interesting is that, yeah, we have been led to believe that um, routine and structure is what kids need and it does. It helps them function really well. But we've Mm. got to understand that we live in a chaotic world. Um, (laughs) It's hectic. It's busy. It's rushed. We're always... um, Mm just just trying to keep up and for kids on the spectrum if we keep it so routine and so structured that for some reason um something doesn't go according to plan that can be the end of the world right yeah I think what she was saying was um like for instance when she goes out she'll draw a picture um with a, a circle and have like home to shop to petrol station to with the arrows and then they can sort of see where they're going mm-hmm. um, and things like that just so that they get a visual. I don't know, it would probably be different for ADHD anyway, but... No, um, yeah, no, right? it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. So like what I was saying, like kids are put in these diagnostic boxes right? Um, and we've just got to look at the child and understand, you know, what yeah, is it that true. they need? Because for some kids, they do like that structure. And yeah, so I have one that definitely needs that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loses it when he's not, when he doesn't know what's happening that morning. Mm-hmm. He's 19 and he's still, he'll just be lost. He'll just wander yeah. around the house if he doesn't have a list or a, at least talk him through, okay, what's happening today, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's still like that now. (laughs) Yeah, and that's good. And look, we all do that. We all need our calendar. We all rely on our diary. Um, So that is really important and that does help us get us through the day. Otherwise, we would be lost. Mm. But the importance is just ensuring that if things don't go plan, if there's someone that is highly anxious or, um, you know, you know it's going to rattle them if if there's a substitute teacher Mm. that day or something doesn't go according to plan, or their favourite breakfast isn't out and whatever it is, we need to ensure that we can help them cope with that uncertainty. And Um, so how do you start to build that resilience into them? Yeah, it's really interesting. I was talking to Dr James Best, who is a GP and also a dad to a teenager on the spectrum, and Mm -hmm. he actually took his son on a six-month trip to Africa to actually throw him into chaos and uncertainty. And <laughs> Sounds like what I just did with my two eldest, including the one that I just talked about. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, I mean, it's incredible because you have to learn to be resilient and to cope and to Every day understand. Is different. 
Yeah, there's no predictability. And he's mm-hmm. saying that um, this is really important for the brain to learn to cope and yeah, wow. really, really good for the brain. So although we do encourage that routine and structure, try and push it a little bit. Try yeah. and just push it a little bit to see how they cope. Yeah. And obviously we need to help them cope um, because if they can't self-regulate for themselves, we need to give them the tools and the strategies to help them to do that. But at the end of the day, when they get out into the real world, we want to help them to be independent. And when life does throw them a curveball or when something doesn't go according to plan, they have the skills, they have the tools in their toolbox to be able to cope with that. Yeah. And Mm. as they get older, you definitely have to, like, um, pull back from organising their day and don't worry, I don't organise my 19-year-old's day. <laughs> but he's just the type of kid that always asks mm-hmm. what's happening today, you know. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to, he's more ADHD than anything, but he's mm-hmm. very, like, it's just interesting seeing how, um, you know, as they grow up, because, you know, we often talk about Um, children on the spectrum when they're young or children with ADHD but as they grow up how does that transition into them being able to like you say cope with everyday life and be more independent and that's that's scary for parents you know trying to get them ready for that so what's some have you got any tips for parents with older kids and as they're growing up how to teach them more independence Mm. little practical things (laughs) Mm. well one of the amazing things that I've sort of learned on this whole autism journey that I've been on the last few years is um, a lot of parents really benefit from learning from autistic adults Mm. so finding autistic mentors that you can you know there's so many people on Facebook and Instagram and just social media these days um, I highly recommend Alison Davies. She is a neurologic music therapist. Um, she's on the Autism Summit. Oh, I, I know Alison. She's yeah, incredible. Lovely. She is. And she does the music therapy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I've seen her for a while. So she's um, going to be on your summit. Yes. Okay. Which you haven't told us about yet. <laughs> <laughs> we can dive into that. Yes. Um, but also Christy Forbes, she is so articulate she mm-hmm. is really incredible and you know there is this movement uh, the neurodiversity movement basically where autistic people and people from you know neurodivergent backgrounds are really advocating for um, a strengths-based model and looking at the ability and focusing on the ability not the disability and I think this is really important for developing that self-esteem and the confidence because you don't want kids growing up into adults who um who are unsure of themselves who don't um know who they are um I think it's really important so looking at adults and learning how they are coping and learning from them because that's who I learn from as well. You know, we can have all the textbooks in the world. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not going to, you know, the lived experience is so valuable. It's just Mm. immeasurable. Mm. When you read other people's stories or hear them speak, it can make, it can really help things to click a lot more than just reading text for sure. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a story person. I want to hear it <laughs> in real life. <laughs> How does this look? What does this look like in, in real life? Absolutely. So both Alison Davies and Christy Forbes are okay. in the Autism Summit. Mm. Awesome. So tell us about the 
autism family? Yes. So basically, um, I have rounded up 20 incredible speakers um, who are going to be talking about a whole range of different topics. Um, We have people on the spectrum. We have parents and also trailblazers in the industry. So um, basically, it's a, I do about a 45-minute interview with each person mm-hmm. um, covering a specific topic. So it's ranging from anything from anxiety, meltdowns and behaviours. Um, we t- I talk to different therapists, so occupational therapists, speech pathologists, psychologists, including Professor Tony Atwood, who is incredible. Okay. Um, looking at different frameworks. So I am all about providing this smorgasbord of ideas and interventions I don't subscribe to one type of therapy or one type of approach I honestly think in order to look at the whole child we need to look at different ideas and different interventions and work out what the right fit is for your child because you know you can have two kids on the spectrum and they are absolute polar opposites they don't have any similarities whatsoever and you kind of think how can this be you know it's autism it's it's the same diagnosis so it comes back to working out what works for your child and the summit is all about um, offering parents and teachers and professionals who want to learn more about different intervention approaches um, including like diet and nutrition is also covered so I speak to Kirsty Worth all about gut health um, and also speaking to Sue Dengue, who is the author of Set Up, so looking at uh, salicylates and amines and different things like that. They come into it. Yeah, and it's really about just um, gathering the autism community together despite yeah. the different approaches that people take. Um, and, yeah, just showcasing this to parents so they can pick and choose what's going to fit in with their family. Right. Well, that's really good. And when when does it begin? Yes, yeah, so it's free and online, so anyone can access it if you've got access to a computer or an iPhone or some sort of digital device. <laughs> Which pretty much does. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll be able to access yeah, it. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it's free and it starts on the 1st of April and it runs till the 5th of April. So there'll be four speakers speaking each day. Um, It's live streaming, so you sort of have to watch it at the time that it comes on. Um, But the speakers will, um, because it's pre-recorded, because it's a massive, Mm. (laughs) massive mission, this um, coordinating it all. But they will come on a few times throughout the day. So if you don't get to watch them in the morning, they'll come on again later at night. Um, So it gives you that opportunity. But if parents want the convenience of watching it when suits them they can get lifetime access to the summit so basically that means they can you know watch it at whatever time they like whenever they like they can pause it rewind it um, yeah yeah yeah, can take notes and they will also get access to um ndis videos so that's the national disability insurance um you know, funding that people get. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of confusion around the funding and oh, yeah. parents want to make sure that they get the funding that their child requires. So it's I've so had a chance to have all the specialists. Mm. So, yeah, you really mm. need that. Mm. 
yeah, I had a chat to an NDIS manager who gives us a lot of tips and just right. gems on how to oh, that's great. access it. Yeah. Sounds like something that um, is really, really helpful. Good on you for doing that. Mm. No, it's been heaps of fun. And honestly, mm. the lineup of people who are coming on <laughs> are incredible. It's amazing. Oh, that's exciting. Well, we'll put the link to yeah. that in the show notes, definitely. It's um, just autismsummit.com.au. Yeah. Okay, easy. All right. And so they just need to sign up before the 1st of April. Yeah. If you have an email address, um, you'll get the updates. Yeah. And will it be available like to buy later on in case anyone missed this? And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're okay. listening to this sometime in the future, just mm-hmm. again, autismsummit.com.au and okay. you can purchase the lifetime access. Okay. Thanks. Um, before we finish up, do you have, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I hate it when people do this too. <laughs> Can you think of a, um, I don't know, just an encouraging story of maybe one of your clients without names and flattening out details, obviously, but that you've seen your way of doing things with all the different therapies and looking at the whole child. Can you think of a story where you've really seen amazing changes? Mm. Yeah, I think what happens is that um, with so many of the kids that I see, it is about these small changes. It's about making small changes to everyday life. And that's what we do as OTs. Um, We, you know, and a lot of people don't even know what OT actually is. Oh, maybe (laughs) I should explain that. (laughs) As OTs, I mean, we look at what occupies a child's um day so when we talk about occupation occupation actually refers to anything that occupies your time so that could be um for a child it could be toileting it could be making friends it could be handwriting it could be um you know anything and eat and eating anything absolutely anything basically so we want to help them um with incorporating meaningful and meaningful activities into their day-to-day life and also increasing their independence. Um, And so with all the kids that I've worked with, like I've honestly, you see little changes and I think it's not until you step back and you see the picture that you go, wow, you know, so much has changed. So Mm -hmm. if I go back to the little boy that I was talking about um, at the start of this podcast, Mm -hmm. he has, you know, he's no longer consistently doing these repetitive behaviors of spinning and rocking he's able to play he can um you know he will call mum over and he'll say mum you know come over here and 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 invite her into the play he will build blocks and towers and use a car how it's intended so he'll zoom that around the racetrack um he's starting to make friends at Mm -hmm. his um childcare where he's going his preschool Mm -hmm. um and and it really is just measuring the quality of life, you know, and it, it's helping that child reach their full potential. It's not measuring it based on um, other children. No, because when we do that, I think parents get focused on... We have a tendency uh, to do that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. And we really need to reassess our expectations and, and say, you know, just because Tommy, who's also four years old, is doing X, Y, Z, you can't expect your child to do that. I mean, if they haven't, 
you can't leapfrog stages. So you can't go from where your child is now and, and get them up to Tommy. You've got to go through all those developmental things, get the brain wiring how it should, you know, um, wiring and strengthening all those neural connections. Um, and then, and then they, they will start to catch up, but don't try and leapfrog these developmental stages that they need to go through, they need to experience, they need to work it out for themselves. What we need to do is to be able to provide them with the tools and the strategies. Um, and like I said, at home, if you can get your routines and your rituals at home, um, that is one of the most important things. And for this little kid too, sensory processing. So he um, he wouldn't respond to his name. So it's looking at, you know, he was under-responsive to a lot of information. So he was in his own world. He, yeah. he would just sort of walk around and not um, take take in information. You know, you almost need to yell in his face or have really bright lights for him to notice things wow. um, that other kids would notice really immediately. But he, he wasn't detecting it. Um, but you also have most kids on the spectrum actually over respond to sensory input. So a little bit of sensory input and it's too much. Oh my gosh, you know, that's what's causing the meltdown. So again, just looking at your child, um, I suppose my take home would be is to look beyond the behaviors. Um, behavior is just the tip of the iceberg. We need to look at what's actually going on underneath. Why are they acting this way why why are we seeing these behaviors what's triggering it mm. and what's um or just what's contributing to it and like yeah. i said looking at nutrition sleep how they're processing sensory information incorporating more movement into the day all these different things are going to just set up that foundation mm. stack the deck as much as you can yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely oh, that's really good well thank you so much for coming on the show and um Guys, make sure you hop over and listen to Rhiannon's podcast, Home Base Hope. We'll put the link in the show notes and um, have a listen to the summit. If you can get onto that, that sounds like it's going to be really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it was really good to talk to you, Rhiannon. Lovely, lovely to meet you. Thanks so much, Jay. Thank you I so much. It. And guys, we'll be back in a fortnight with another interview. So please stick around and we'll see you all soon. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any episode you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called The Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect with like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and to come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.